Chapter 9 of Autobiography of an Actress by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Kelly Taylor. The illness which I mentioned in the preceding chapter was of long duration. As a faithful historian fulfilling a trust, I cannot omit the narration of events which were produced by that illness, but I allude to them with reluctance, a reluctance which has perhaps no reasonable foundation. Dr. C. of New York was called in to attend me. He considered my state dangerous. On the occasion of his first visit, after numerous inquiries in regard to my symptoms, he turned to Mr. Mollett and said, if she is susceptible to mesmerism, I think she can be relieved more readily than by any medicine that I could administer. Mr. Mollett had not any knowledge of mesmerism, nor had I. We had never seen a mesmeric subject, never had heard a case fully described. He strongly objected to my being made the subject of an experiment. An argument ensued which I did not hear. It ended in Dr. C.'s assurance that I might be greatly benefited by mesmeric treatment, but could not be injured. Mr. Mollett finally assented to the doctor's proposition. I was suffering too much to express an opinion, or even to have one. When Dr. C. first proposed to mesmerize me, I was reclining in an armchair. The doctor now placed himself in front of me. I remember his making what are called passes before my eyes. Very soon my head grew slightly dizzy. The room seemed filled with a dim haziness. The objects began to dance and float, and then to disappear. I recollect nothing further. I was afterwards told that in less than twenty minutes I fell into a very deep sleep, from which I suddenly emerged into a state of somnambulic consciousness a similar deep sleep i am assured always subsequently preceded my state of mesmeric somnambulism it was the drawbridge separating the waking from the sleeping waking state over which i had inevitably to pass even when i had become so sensitive to the mesmeric influence that I could be put by it into somnambulic state in less than a quarter of a minute, I am told there would be, to outward appearance, an absolute insensibility and suspension of all consciousness for an interval of several seconds, during which, if standing at the time, I would fall to the ground, unless supported. On entering the somnambulic state, thus induced by mesmerism, I am further informed I would be entirely unconscious of the presence of other parties than the magnetizer until they were put in communication with me by him, and that often I was subjected to much pain and even thrown into convulsive shudderings by being inconsiderately touched by persons not into communication. It should be stated that from childhood I had been occasionally addicted to natural somnambulism and had repeatedly been known to walk and talk in my sleep. It is said that persons of this habit are especially susceptible of the mesmeric influence. In regard to my first mesmeric trance, I must rely solely upon the testimony of others as to what transpired during its continuance. I had, and still have, no conscious recollection whatever in regard to its experiences. I can only repeat what I was told by those whose good faith and accuracy I cannot distrust. On being awakened from the state of somnambulism, I felt very much relieved and refreshed. The fever from which I had been suffering had nearly left me and my head, which had ached incessantly for three days, was free from pain. I had slept between two and three hours. Mr. Mollett and the doctor now amused themselves by relating some of the fantastic remarks 
which I had made while somnambulic. I began to think that I was the victim of a joke. Was it possible that I had been, but a few minutes previous, in a separate state of consciousness, during which I had talked, laughed, laughed at my waking self, I was told, and that, of it all, I could not bring away the faintest inkling of remembrance? Yet such, I am forced to believe, was the wonderful truth. I could with difficulty be persuaded that my trance was not a merely natural sleep into which I had accidentally fallen. The physical relief produced did not strike me as remarkable, as I had been unable to sleep before for several days and nights. To mesmerism, under heaven, I must believe I was subsequently indebted more than once for relief from a prostration which no other human agency could have prevented from ending in dissolution. Dr. C. attended me daily and continued to use mesmerism as the most powerful agent in my restoration. I soon grew impatient at this apparent surrender of free will, one of heaven's choicest gifts to man. I was annoyed at being told that I had spoken, done, or written things of which I had no recollection. Numerous poems were placed in my hands, which, I was informed, I had improvised as rapidly as they could be taken down, the subjects having been given haphazard by any person present. It was no particular gratification to be assured that I had never produced anything as good before, nor was it any consolation to be told that in sleep-waking I was far more sensible, more interesting, and more amiable than in my ordinary state. With womanly perverseness, I preferred my everyday imperfection to this mysterious and incomprehensibly brought-about superiority. For the former, I was at least responsible. To the latter, I could lay no conscious claim. I say conscious claim, though it must be admitted that there may be separate states of consciousness. In the phenomena of this separation, the student of human nature may, I believe, find the clue to momentous truths. The essential facts in ordinary somnambulism will not be denied except by those awfully rigorous inquirers who will accept nothing which they cannot weigh, gauge, and handle, and who are quite as likely to be deceived as the most credulous, inasmuch as the skepticism which admits too little is as liable to mistake as the marvellous propensity which admits too much. But if pretenders to science will not grant it, common experience and common sense will, that a person in somnambulism may hold long and rational conversations and perform acts of which he will have no recollection whatever in his waking state. Let him again pass, however, into somnambulism, and he can recall everything that he ever experienced in that state. It would seem, from this common and undeniable phenomenon, as if there were an inner consciousness of occupying a higher plane than the external, and commanding a more extensive prospect, a consciousness undeveloped in most mind except by flashes, and retiring within itself before the external can distinctly realize its presence. How shall we account for the thick veil of separation, dropped at once by the cessation of somnambulism, whether independent or induced by mesmerism, between the normal and abnormal, the external and internal consciousness? An analogy drawn from intoxication or insanity is not precisely applicable here, for, under somnambulism, one may be as calm and rational and as completely in possession of all his faculties as ever in his waking state. Nay, those faculties may be considerably quickened and exalted, and yet a wave of the mesmerizer's hand 
will bring the subject back from the higher to the lower everyday consciousness where all that he has been saying and doing in his somnambulic state is an utter blank another wave of the hand or an access of natural somnambulism entirely independent of mesmerism and lo all the knowledge of the former state is restored as if a curtain has been lifted townsend mentions an illustrative instance of the wonderful separation of these states in the case of e a a french youth whom he was in the habit of mesmerizing when awake e a entertained infidel opinions of the worst kind i asked him once in his waking state writes townsend what he thought became of us after death his answer was in sleeping waking all this was changed his ideas of the mind were correct and singularly opposed to the material views he took of all questions when in the sleeping state can the soul ever die i asked certainly not it is the soul which is the only true existence and which gives existence to all we apprehend under mesmeric sleeping waking all the hard incredulity which characterized e a when awake was gone his wilfulness became submission his pride humility often would he regret the errors of his waking hours instances similar to the above were numerous truly we are wiser than we know in the mind of the most stubborn materialist there may be an inner consciousness giving lie to his outward unbelief a consciousness which may be developed in some tremendous moment perhaps in the last of the earth to confound and overwhelm him and to raise as by lightning flash his edifices of intellectual pride and presumption georget a distinguished french physician and author of several scientific works advocating the broadest materialism was converted to a conviction of his error by witnessing the phenomenon of somnambulism dying he left a formal recantation of his philosophy and his last moments were brightened by the serenest confidence in a hereafter for the soul if ever the livery of heaven was stolen to serve the devil in it may have been done by miss martineau and her ally mr atkinson in their late atheistical work in which they undertake to make some of the facts of mesmerism and somnambulism subservient to the cause of blank atheism and unbelief i can say it boldly that so far as i have been permitted to bring impressions and recollections which the magnetizer by an act of his will may let in to the waking consciousness of the somnambule from my own ample somnambulic experience far ampler and more extraordinary than any which miss martineau according to her own showing has either experienced herself or witnessed in other they contradict most emphatically not only all of her atheistical conclusions but many of the loosely assumed facts on which these are based there is one passage in her work which indicates such an extent of fatuity such an ignorance of the actual phenomena from which she professes to reason and such an absurd anticipation of great results from a cause ridiculously inadequate and inoperative that i may be pardoned for quoting it the knowledge she says which mesmerism gives of the influence of body on body and consequently of mind on mind will bring about a morality we have not yet dreamed of and who shall disguise his nature and his acts when we cannot be sure at any moment that we are free from the clairvoyant eye of someone who is observing our actions and most secret thoughts and our whole character and history may be read off at any moment here is a substitute for the omniscient eye such a substitute alas 
as no healthy mind could ever have seriously suggested even supposing the capacity of human clairvoyance to be what miss martineau imagines let conscience she substantially tells us once rid itself of a belief in god and a future state and it will be kept right by the fancy that there may be some obscure somnambulance we will suppose in oregon or hindustan or nearer home perhaps some poor feeble little woman who may have the power and intention of scanning our actions and thoughts what a substitute we have here for a belief in a just and benevolent god what an agency for bringing about a morality we have not yet dreamed of alas than any person of intelligence above all that a woman should from her intellectual pride of place fall into such a wretched slough of despond as this and persuade herself that it is a bed of flowers if miss martineau knows anything accurately of clairvoyance she must know that its recognitions are almost always involuntary flashing and vanishing like lightning instances of clairvoyance originated and sustained at will are so rare that i have heard of no case in which any of the numerous offers of money for clairvoyant readings of concealed writings have been accepted i could mention many instances in which miss martineau has entirely misapprehended or misstated the phenomena of mesmerism in which she has assumed from the vaguest and most questionable premises the most momentous and unwarrantable conclusions on a subject too involving the peace of mind of thousands but this is not the place for such a discussion in dragging the facts of somnambulism to the support of her dismal creed she has recklessly and mischievously turned them from their most obvious and legitimate service give me such evidence of powers transcending the mortal senses as they supply and the whole tribe of atheists from lucretius to atkinson can no more shake my faith in spiritual things in a heavenly father and an immortal soul than they can persuade me that heat and light proceed not from the sun of our system but from the ice at the north pole let me commend to miss martineau the following true and eloquent passage by one of her own countrymen the author of church and state try to conceive a man without the ideas of god eternity freedom will absolute truth of the good the true the beautiful the infinite an animal endowed with a memory of appearances and facts might remain but the man will have vanished and you have instead a creature more subtle than any beast of the field upon the belly it must go and dust it must eat all the days of its life ah no it is not to such a degradation that knowledge of the real facts of somnambulism would lead us they have none of the vapour of the charnel house about them which miss martineau's imagination would impart they are all of a cheering elevating and inspiring character they lift our thoughts ever to another and better life to heaven and to anticipations of all that is most beauteous imagined there in a happier beauty more pellucid streams an ampler ether a diviner air and fields invested with puerperial gleams climes which the sun that sheds the brightest day earth knows and is all unworthy to survey the question whether the soul thinks always is decided by locke in the negative on the ground that after consciousness is the only testimony we can have of the mind's activity and that since we are by no means conscious that we think always we ought not to assume that we do think always i believe with townsend that in this notion locke was fundamentally wrong for equally with townsend's somnambulist i have the testimony of my fellow-beings that the state which once ended 
appeared a blank to me was in truth marked by energy and activity of the highest order on one point i feel a degree of satisfaction though perhaps it was only a proof of my natural obstinacy they told me that i was what is called an independent somnambulist and that i could at any time defeat the will of the mesmerizer unless i chose to submit it was also told me that my reasoning faculties were singularly developed under somnambulism and that i often maintained opinions at variance with those of the mesmerizer and of others with whom i was in communication especially on religious subjects these opinions i could not be forced to relinquish by arguments or even through the exertion of a superior will this brings me to another circumstance of somewhat graver interest while i was in a somnambulic state mr mawat often conversed with me alone for hours together religion was the subject upon which he most frequently dwelt his mind had naturally a strong sceptical tendency confirmed by a system of education miscalled philosophical in what manner his favorite theories were overturned and his belief in a revealed religion established i do not understand i only know that there was a downfall of the olden fabric and a new foundation laid for the new while his religious views were undergoing a total revolution he encountered in the street dr w an old and esteemed friend the doctor naturally inquired after my health in reply mr mawat related the singular events of the latest few days his own deep impressions and consequent change of feelings mrs mawat must have read swedenborg's works said dr w for those doctrines swedenborg promulgates mr mawat replied that this could not be the case as all my reading since i was fifteen years old had been known to him he was right i had never read a line of swedenborg's writings i had never heard of his doctrines mentioned dr w requested mr mawat to ask me certain questions the next time i was in a somnambulic state and to let him know the replies i have often heard what these questions were but i cannot trust my memory to repeat them with accuracy the questions were asked and the answers were to dr w his reply upon hearing them was those are the doctrines revealed through swedenborg who is swedenborg what are his doctrines where shall i find a church in which they are taught how shall i obtain his writing were mr mawat's eager inquiries dr w was himself an earnest new churchman and gave the required information the next sunday mr mawat went to hear dr barrett a new church minister preach my indisposition confined me to the house i asked him how he liked the sermon and what it was about he answered that he hardly knew how he liked it though he had never listened to a sermon with so much interest in his life he should certainly attend the new church again the next day he procured several volumes of swedenborg's work they were in a large old-fashioned print but mr mawat's eyes were still so much affected that he could only read for ten minutes or a quarter of an hour at the time i used to feel troubled to see him day after day poring over these huge volumes at the risk of ruining his eyesight but the knowledge for which he thirsted brought him too much happiness for any remonstrances to be heeded while i remained ill i felt an indifference almost amounting to an aversion towards the writings of swedenborg and invariably grew weary when they were discussed as i became stronger i resumed my usual occupation of reading aloud to mr mawat he did not care to listen to any author but swedenborg and therefore from swedenborg's works i read my interest was quickly awakened i read with avidity and involuntarily from an internal conviction as it were accepted the doctrines i never had a doubt to combat 
Sometimes it seemed to me as though I had known all that was there to be revealed, believed it all before, only I had never deliberately thought on the subject. With the full acceptance of new church doctrines came the cheerful faith that all which we behold is full of blessings. All things in life were a different aspect. I realized that the things which befall us in time had no true importance except as they regarded eternity. Whatever we received from above was good, whether it came in the shape of prosperity or misfortune, for it was but a means to fit us for our future selves. It became easy to perceive that the most trivial of our daily joys and pains advance to a divine significance. Life's trials lost all their bitterness. As I have no intention of discussing new church doctrines, I pass over our first acquaintance with ministers and members of the church and other circumstances in the same connection. In six months more, we have both made open confessions of our belief and became members of the new church. One by one, four of my sisters, but none of them in the slightest degree influenced by me, were baptized before the same altar, and communed at the same table. Our eldest, Mrs. William Turner, who was unquestionably the profoundest thinker and best reasoner, had been for many years a communicant in the Episcopal Church. Great opposition was made by her religious friends to her open change of faith. She made an able defense of her conduct in two volumes, published in New York, one entitled Reasons for Joining the New Church, by a member of the Episcopal Church, and the other, points of difference between the new and old church. The latter of these was reprinted in London without my sister's knowledge and had an extensive circulation. To return to my mesmeric experiences, I have seen you, writes a friend, several hundred times in this somnambulic state during a period extending over three years the peculiarities which distinguished it were most remarkable. Your eyelids in this state, when you are particularly animated, would be tightly closed, and yet there would be a luminous expression on your countenance which could hardly have been equaled with the aid of your open eyes. Generally, the eyelids would hang loose and slightly open, and then it could be seen that the balls were always so rolled up that they could not be a medium of vision. During the months and years that I saw you almost daily in this state, I can never detect the waking expression on your face. Whatever might occur to startle or surprise, never by accident were the eyes thrown open as they would have been when awake. It was remarked by all that your voice was much more soft and childlike than usual. Indeed, your whole manner would be changed, as if you had become once more a little child." You would always allude to your waking self or material body in the third person as she. For instance, you would say, she isn't hungry. Never by any inadvertence, I am not hungry. It was rather unpleasant to you to be confounded with your physical person. It was sometimes a little embarrassing to other to keep your identities distinct, and they would often confound the two in conversation but the distinction would never be lost for a moment by yourself. To you, the existence of a spiritual body, distinct from the natural, seemed a consciousness as vivid as that which assures us that we breathe and move. The words of St. Paul, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body, were to you something more than a figure of speech. They were a literal truth, not to be explained away, or darkened by any ingenuity of commentators or dogmatism of theologians. Your household duties and accustomed function would be discharged by you in this somnambulic state with perfect convenience, and with a promptitude quite exemplary. You would frequently take your meals in this state, and, if your magnetizer were present, you would manifest the phenomena of sympathy of taste in a marked and satisfactory manner, telling whether he were taking salt or vinegar, pepper or mustard, etc., when he might be behind a screen. At night, before the lamps were lighted, you would have a decided advantage 
over all others in the room in your ability to read, write, or work, while the rest of us might not be able to see our hands before us. I have several specimens of your somnambulic handiwork in the form of moss and flowers arranged most tastefully on paper, and the whole executed in my presence while it was totally dark. I also have letters which were penned by you in utter darkness, and, strange to say, the handwriting is greatly superior to your usual careless chirography, and would not be supposed to be from the same hand. Your conversation was marked by fluency and confidence, especially on religious subjects, than in your ordinary state. But, as I looked mainly to the palpable phenomena of your case, I took little note of your opinions. Still, I was not insensible to the physical phenomena continually presented. They were too numerous to recount in this rapid summary. The merest trifles, says a philosopher of our day, are interesting to suggest to us an action in man independent of his present organization. Now mesmerism teems with more than slight indications of this, and we should treasure up such glimmerings of futurity, however faint and however presented to us, as inestimable proofs that we possess a germ of being which God permits us to behold partially unfolded here, in order to confirm our faith as to its fuller development in the hereafter. Most thoroughly do I acquiesce in this sentiment, and most cogently have my experiences in your case commended it to my acceptance. Frequently, after you had been awakened from a long magnetic trance, during of which a variety of incidents may have occurred, and many topics may have been discussed, I have, with the consent of your magnetizer and seconded by his will, brought it up, one by one, by the silent agency of my will to your waking consciousness, any incident or topic which might suggest itself. This I would do by simply touching your forehead with my forefinger, thinking the while intently on the image to be awakened in your mind. The response would be as perfect and accurate as from the keys of a piano. For instance, out of a hundred various incidents, I would select that a plate of strawberries having been offered to you, or that of a watch having been wound up, and by a touch on your forehead, the image would instantaneously be brought up, and you would exclaim, strawberries, or watch, as it might have been. I repeated this experiment so often with success that finally, Though so marvelous in itself, it grew to be, like other daily marvels, an occasion for no emotion of surprise. Not only was your philanthropy more Catholic and active, but towards the brute creation, especially the more despised, such as insects, spiders, snakes, etc., from which you would shrink affrighted in your waking state, you would manifest a strange and fearless tenderness. You would take them up, if injured, in your hands and remove them to a place of safety. Fond of flowers when awake, you were doubly so in this singular state. You would manifest an intuitive faculty of detecting the seats of disease in persons, often pointing out the part affected, as if from sympathy. I cannot recall, in this hurried letter, half the interesting phenomena witnessed in your case, such as your insensibility to pain of an incision or wound in a magnetized limb, your quick reception of a mental communication without the medium of any sound or sign, your distinct prevision at one time six months in advance of crises of disease, your detection of the character of an individual by pressing the hand, your ability to choose out of a heap of miscellaneous articles the one magnetized, your many striking developments of faculties and modes of thought distinguishing you in a marvelous manner from your waking self. On one occasion, at a time when you had suffered from many repeated hemorrhages of the lungs, and we all feared that you would not live through the winter, 
you were kept in the somnambulic state an entire fortnight without being awakened the reason for this was that while somnambulic you were far more manageable and reliable in observing all necessary precautions and that you seemed less sensitive to the cold and your violent attacks of coughing were much more under control at the time you were thrown into the somnambulic state on this occasion there had been a heavy snowstorm and broadway in new york on which thoroughfare your windows looked was blocked up with snow there was a rose bush in your room having a little green bud on it upon which a faint speck of crimson had just appeared your last impressions when you were thrown into somnambulism were of the snow without and the rose bush within a fortnight afterwards your magnetizer without preparing you for the change in surrounding objects suddenly awakened you and led you to the window every flake of the immense accumulation of snow had disappeared he then led you to the well-known rose-bush a little bud was in full luxuriant bloom i shall never forget the expression of bewilderment and consternation on your face as you looked upon the changes that seemed to strike you as miraculous the fortnight was to your waking consciousness but a moment such was your excessive agitation that your magnetizer was obliged to make passes at once and restore you to your somnambulic consciousness he then gave you an ordination to carry into your waking state so much recollection of your fortnight's experience as would prepare you fully for the changes around you a year or two previously and a week or two after you were first magnetized by dr c which was while you were stopping at astor house in new york in the winter of eighteen forty two the illness under which you were laboring assumed a more alarming aspect than it had yet worn and while somnambulic you were charged by your magnetizer to investigate your physical condition i was not present but learned in the same day that you had predicted a great crisis in your malady at a certain hour in the night the week following to the inquiry whether or not any medical relief could be given you replied no drugs mesmerism may possibly bring her through you pronounced yourself uncertain as to the issue of the crisis but gave great encouragement to dr c to believe that prompt and earnest mesmeric aid could avail in producing the required relief on the night fixed at dr c s request i accompanied him to your parlor at the astor house and you were shortly afterwards mesmerized and i was put into communication mr mawet was present and was also put into communication while awake you had not the slightest anticipation of what was expected and no one had intimated your mesmeric prediction we engaged in conversation and had some hope of drawing your mind from the anticipated attack you were perfectly tranquil and conversed freely on various subjects but precisely at the hour you had provised and predicted an expression of the intensest pain came upon your face and you fell back in the most violent convulsions dr c bore you to the sofa but though a strong man his strength was unequal to the task of controlling the horrible spasms which quivered through all your limbs and disfigured your face at one time every fibre was knotted into a state of iron rigidity your writhings were fearful to witness dr c pronounced the attack congestion of the brain your face was purple your forehead throbbed violently and your skin was of the highest fever heat dr c used no other ministration than the mesmeric passes throughout the attack which lasted with hardly an instant cessation about an hour at the end of that time there was a sudden relaxation of your limbs and they seemed to settle into a state of repose your countenance became pale and we half feared your last earthly moment had come but a smile of inexpressible sweetness broke forth and your closed eyes seemed to make it all the more luminous and you whispered in the childlike tone which was peculiar to your somnambulic state 
you have brought her through thank god exclaimed dr c bursting into tears with an uncontrollable emotion after this crisis your health began slowly to improve though your lungs were still very sensitive and you were subjected to frequent spitting of blood and violent fits of coughing which kept your friends continually in a state of suspense as to your recovery your exact knowledge of the time in the somnambulic state was a remarkable trait no chronometer could be more exact it seemed as if all nature were your dial plate and that you could at any moment read what its index denoted i am inclined to believe it is only these somnambules who are naturally pliable and dependent who are under the entire control of their magnetizers there was certainly no surrender of your will to yours you were the dictator to him on all occasions as to what you should do you prescribed your own medicines and diet disputed argued and disagreed with him often and were entirely independent of him except so far as related to the keeping up of the magnetic influence by an occasional visit from him and a renewal without touch of the passes he would leave you in the somnambulic state with mr mawet or your sister and perhaps not see you again for twenty-four hours although in this state you are always cheerful and sometimes jocose one of your most prominent developments was that of your religious faculties and sympathies frequently you would talk like one inspired of spiritual realities and the meaning of life what in your waking state was faith seemed to be sight in your somnambulic it was no longer a speculation or even a belief that there was a life after death but a knowledge far more confident and insured than that which we usually entertain on going to bed that we shall wake in the morning in crises of disease when your physician did not believe that you would live through the week he would tell you in your somnambulic state his apprehensions though it would have been dangerous to communicate them to you awake the perfect equanimity even cheerfulness with which you would receive such announcements was a matter of surprise to all who witnessed it in times of extreme emaciation when you could be lifted like a child when all who looked upon you and heard your paroxysms of coughing would turn away with the persuasion that you could not last through the season you had always in your somnambulic state some pleasantry with which to dispel the fears of the standers-by the truth was that though you regarded death as a welcome emancipation you still knew far better than the doctor the physical state of the simpleton as you used to call your waking self and relied upon mesmerism to bring her through your views of death at the same time in your somnambulic state were always so serenely assured and such was the quiet satisfaction with which you seemed to look forward on what john sterling calls the common road into the great darkness that the nearer the prospect was brought the more grateful it became or rather to you there was no darkness but it was all a rosy light and to your mind this king of terrors was the prince of peace the separation of the waking from the somnambulic consciousness in your case was the most complete and perfect never by any accident could i discover that you brought into your waking state the slightest recollection of what had occurred in your somnambulic and this during a period of three years to the psychologist as well as the physiologist all phenomena of your case are intensely interesting as the many persons who had an opportunity of investigating them will admit during my illness the beloved home which i had made such efforts to save was sold as soon as i was able to drive out i begged to be allowed to visit it once again it was spring but a late spring not a tree had begun to bud the gardens which i had last seen in all the richness of their autumn bloom would bear of leaf or flower excepting a few crocuses that had pierced through the slowly melting snow 
the favorite arbor appeared more bleak and desolate even than the gardens brown and withered vine stems alone covered the trellis where huge clusters of grapes had hung in purple luxuriance even the greenhouse had a deserted air many of the flowers had been removed many more had died and those that remained were suffering from neglect we looked around for the heliotrope of hair-decking memory it was gone after wandering about in the grounds until we were chilled in more senses than one we took refuge in the house the unfurnished rooms had a cold deserted aspect but to me every nook and corner teemed with delightful associations i could scarcely compel myself to believe that this house would never more be our home that in this bright cheerful chamber i would never again sleep that there would be no more merry meetings in this large old-fashioned ballroom which at christmas time was ever decked with evergreens and on summer festivities ever garlanded with flowers that there would be no more plays in our little theatre no more bands of music in the old hall but so it was yet when the certainty of what must be resigned came upon me its pain had been abstracted the loss was heavy but could be reckoned the gain since that loss no human reckoning could measure it was arranged that if my health was sufficiently restored i should resume my public readings in the autumn making a tour of the united states for that purpose we passed the summer at lenox one of the most picturesquely beautiful localities i had ever visited a summer brightened by my constant intercourse with the gifted miss sedgwick and her genial relatives mrs charles sedgwick kept a seminary for young ladies amongst her scholars were a number of charming girls we soon became acquainted and they used to treat me as a companion crowding my apartment at every recess and bringing me fruits and flowers and other simple offerings of affection i grew warmly attached to many of them as i believed they were to me they made me listen to their grievances or join in their games or read aloud for their amusement then came the usual schoolgirl interchange of locks of hair and pressed flowers i still preserve a goodly pile of curls ringlets and braids of various hues that remind me of the lovely lenox schoolgirls now wives and mothers mrs sedgwick wrote them a play and they pressed me into service as stage manager costumer and prompter the rehearsals were particularly amusing there were some tragic effects necessary and my young pupils found the greatest diversion in learning how to stab themselves gracefully and die in attitude i devoted a week to teaching them their parts planning their costumes and making tow wigs to represent gray hairs of age or the powdered toupees of english footmen the play performed before a numerous assemblage of mrs sedgwick's friends it was highly successful the girls acted with great spirit and even the tow wigs made a hit i was busily engaged behind the scenes during the performance but joined the company in the drawing-room at its conclusion feeling greatly fatigued i was planning how i could steal off unnoticed when the door was thrown open and an emphasis that announced some important interest the scholars in procession walked in the eldest bearing a wreath of white flowers the crowd drew back and the young girls approached their amateur manager i could only stare at them in mute and embarrassed astonishment the crown bearer made me a simple and feeling address and placed the wreath upon my head a very tired aching head it chanced to be this was part of the performance which i had not anticipated of course it was necessary to say something but i fancy i made a rather stupid and awkward acknowledgment for i was taken unawares supposing that the curtain had fallen upon my portion of the entertainment and left me where i had passed the evening happily behind the scenes the distinguished divine dr william ellery channing was an honored guest at this performance he was warm in his expressions of delight and many times rose from his seat and clapped his hands and laughed with genuine enjoyment 
Some of the guests remarked that, in watching him, they forgot to look at the play. He said to me afterwards, I was never in a theater but once in my life, and that was when I was traveling in England. I saw Othello, but I was not half so much entertained as I have been tonight with the performance of these young girls. Dr. Channing and his family resided in the same hotel with us. We spent many hours together, and I was never tired of listening to his eloquent discourse and watching the brilliant play of his benign countenance. One day I was sitting on the piazza, reading aloud to Mr. Mawet. The book was Swedenborg's Divine Providence. A slight movement behind my chair caused me to turn. Dr. Channing was leaning against the open door, apparently listening. He told me to go on, and I had no excuse for not obeying. I read for some time uninterruptedly. At length he accosted me with, Do you understand what you are reading? I replied, I think I do. Do you believe it? Yes. What makes you believe it? Because I can't help it. That's a woman's reason, he answered laughing, but I believe it's the strongest you could give. He then told me that he had read a portion of Swedenborg's works with great attention, and he reverenced the author, although the doctrines had not as yet carried the same conviction to his mind as they had done to ours. In the subject of mesmerism, he took the deepest interest. On two occasions, he persuaded me to allow myself to be placed under the influence that he might satisfy himself on several doubtful points. One was of the possibility of mind communicating with mind without the medium of language or any material sign. His experiment, I believe, convinced him that this could be the case. I recited, at his request, several of the selections which I had read in public. He now and then kindly pointed out defects in elocution or faulty pronunciations. And even now I can never utter one or two of the words in the pronunciation of which he corrected me without thinking of Dr. Channing. The day before we parted, he came to my room and asked me to read to him once more. I did so, and he proposed to return to read to me. He chose Bryant's exquisite poem, The Future Life. His silvery tones were tremulous as he read, and his mild eyes beamed with a luster almost angelic. In his manner, there was something so solemn and impressive that I listened with awe. In less than a month, he himself entered that future life the sphere that keeps the disembodied spirits of the dead. He was standing on its threshold when he read to me, I might well hearken with suspended breath in rapt and wondering reverence. End of chapter 9